0: Hello and welcome to the Spiked podcast. I'm Fraser Myers and joining me we have Spiked's editor Brendan O'Neill. Hello. And Spiked's deputy editor Tom Slater. Hello. Today we're going to discuss the Brexit election.
1: This election of 2019 has been won by the Conservatives. Getting Brexit done
2: is now the irrefutable, unarguable
1: decision. Of the people. people are suggesting why should there be a second referendum
0: when they had a referendum in 2016. It's not Jeremy Corbyn, it's Brexit and ignoring democracy. So, Boris Johnson has done it winning 364 seats and a majority of 76, the largest Conservative majority since 1987. Labour had a dreadful showing, losing 59 seats, mostly to the Tories, even losing many of its once rock-solid safe seats in its so-called Red Wall, from Bishop Auckland and Bolsover to Wakefield and Wrexham. The Liberal Democrat leader Jo Swinson lost her seat to the SNP, and the SNP won 48 seats in Scotland, gaining 13. Brendan, what is your initial response to this? I just think it's brilliant. I think it really
2: is. And that doesn't mean you have to be a big fan of Boris. It doesn't mean you have to like his Brian O'Deal and Spite has been critical of those things and we will continue to be critical of those things. But... This is, as I said in a column on Spike today, on Friday, this is the revenge of democracy. This mm. is the people fighting back against a political class, as best represented over the past couple of years by Labour, by a political class which treated them with contempt, which wanted to overthrow their vote for Brexit, which openly said, we will not push this vote through and instead we'll have a second referendum. And people have reaped their revenge on that contemptuous, elitist attitude. I think the collapse of Labour's red wall. Mm. The working class's utter abandonment of Labour is a political realignment of historic epic proportions, Mm. which will have echoes for a very long time to come. Uh, And I think it is incredibly positive. This is voters saying, you cannot take us for granted. You cannot treat us like this. And if you do, we will push back hard. So this is a ballot box revolt against the anti-Democrats. Tom? No, I think that's exactly right. And I think the, the story
1: of the night is less the kind of great, you know, charging victory of Boris Johnson as much as it is the historic defeat of Labour. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, because as yeah. Brendan says, I think it's a very important thing that that um, de is taking place. Because really this Tory victory was built on that collapse in the Labour vote. You see it across the vote share, you know. The Tory party only really put on a point in, over yeah. the course of last night, whereas you saw the Labour vote and it plunged by like eight points. You saw it in constituency after constituency. And I think what we're really seeing is voters having a reckoning with the Labour Party, which has not only treated them with contempt over the Brexit process, but for decades. And I think that's Mm. an important thing to note, which is why you're seeing so many of these incredibly historic losses. You know, Workington, up to now, over the past 101 years, it has been in Tory hands for three of them. That has now gone to the Tory party. (laughs) Dom Valley, Labour since 1922, has now gone to the Tory party. Bishop Auckland, Labour since 1935, the list goes on and on. The Tories were even winning seats that they weren't necessarily even thinking they were targeting that yeah. heavily at this election. One interesting one and one significant scout was, of course, um, Laura Pidcock in Northwest Durham. The Tories came from something like 8,000 votes behind to take that seat. This is really, really significant. This is obviously off the back of the collapse in their working class vote. That's where Labour had most of their losses and where you saw the Tories Picking up most of their support. And I think it's important that we just point out this isn't a case of the Labour Party neglecting these voters um, over years, of, you know, becoming a bit aloof from their concerns of not listening to them. It's the fact that they had become contemptuous of them, they had scorned them. That came to a head during the Brexit process, but it's something that had been long in the brewing. You know, this is the sort of reckoning with and the kind of evolution from the that bigoted woman moment onwards. And I think it's important that we recognise the historic um and kind of long-evolving nature of this defeat as the kind of pretty short-term recriminations have already kicked off.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. It's it's interesting to see lots of Labour figures, whether it's, you know, Emily Thornbury or, you know, even activists like Owen Jones and Ash Sarkar, say, you know, Brexit was insurmountable, Brexit crushed us, as if Brexit were this sort of immovable um external force. But it was Labour's choices in mm. relation to Brexit that cost it so many votes. You know, the electoral map always pointed to the fact that Labour or any party needed to win in Leave seats if it were to have any hope of forming a government. There are over 400 Leave seats, and there are only around 200 Remain seats. But the Labour Party, as soon as it saw itself losing middle-class Remainers to the Lib Dems, took a more Remain position. And it didn't do that out of self-interest necessarily, Mm. it did that because it saw those voters as more valuable. It didn't matter that there were less of them. It simply saw Leave voters as lesser people. Yeah, And then that was what allowed them to go around the North saying, actually, do you want a second referendum? We think you got this wrong, Mm. which obviously went down like a cup of cold sick in those places. Absolutely right. You know, let's not beat
2: around the bush. They 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 loathe those people. That's what's happened over the past I think Tom's right to locate it over the past decade. I mean it's been going on longer, but the past decade is is a neat bookended situation where it starts with Gordon Brown referring to Gillian Duffy as that bigoted woman because she asked questions about immigration. And then that's how the decade starts. And then the decade ends with Labour suffering its worst defeat in decades at the hands of the working classes. This decade is the decade of Labour's demise. And Mm. what we have is a working class revolt against the Labour Party. And you know, it has been a long time coming. Let's not forget, Labour people will often say things like, you could put a red rosette on a donkey and people would vote for us. Or, you know, these, these are safe seats. You don't have to try too hard to get votes. All that stuff has been utterly exploded by this. And that in itself is incredibly positive. I think it's one of the most positive things that's been expressed at the ballot box in a very, very long time. But I think, um, the mistake Labour is making now, of course, already, and we're very new, new into this era, the mistake they're making already is, is, is failing to understand where they went wrong. Yeah. You know, Brexit, as you said, Fraser, they're all saying Brexit killed us or Brexit became this culture war that we couldn't withstand. And you just want to say to them, no, Brexit isn't a culture war. Brexit is a democratic vote for radical political change. It's a vote against neoliberalism and technocracy and uh, the outsourcing of sovereignty to a foreign oligarchical institution. And people, funnily enough, are rather committed to it as a political ideal. It's very, very simple. The people who turned it into a culture war were the Remainers, including Labour Remainers, including supposedly radical uh, Corbynista activists, who openly turned it into a culture war by saying, this proves people have been brainwashed, that they're racist, that they've been got at by demagogues, they've been hoodwinked, and they created a an elitist culture war by largely London-based, university-educated, clever, so-called cosmopolitans against them, the people out there. Mm. And we know who they're talking about. They talki- they were talking about the people in all these constituencies who have now risen up and fought back. That's exactly who they were talking about, stupid, working-class people. So I think what we have realised is people are deeply committed to Brexit, deeply committed to democracy, and absolutely determined to defend the vote. And that's why they have kicked back against all those sections of the political class who were seeking to undermine the vote, except the SNP. But it might come <laughs> on to that another time.
0: Well, um, let's talk about the SNP taking a Joe Swinson's seat. That had to be one of the highlights of the night. Tom, what were your thoughts on that?
1: No, I thought it was hilarious. The people of East Dunbartonshire decided to unilaterally revoke Joe Swinton. It was (laughs) an absolutely incredible moment. Um, obviously the story of the Lib Dems during this campaign is just how the utter failure of a kind of hard remain message in the country. There's been this myth ever since the referendum that there is this thing out there called the 48%. They all paint their face in the EU colors. They all absolutely loathe democracy. Um, they hate Brexit so much that they're willing to completely, you know, trash the principle that what people vote for should happen. It's complete and utter myth. There, yeah. there is a layer of people like that. We all know who those people are, you see them on demonstrations. But the idea that these people represent even a sizable minority within the Remain vote is just obviously nonsense. And the complete failure of the Lib Dem campaign, and particularly of Joe Swinson, who was put front and centre, you know, face on the side of the bus, um, Joe Swinson and her plan for Britain, Joe Swinson and her candidates, very presidential, really just summed up that that complete, you know, misreading of the public. Now, I think there was an unfortunate thing in this campaign, although it obviously hasn't um, done any damage to the pro Brexit forces is the fact that it did in some of the debates at least allow um Labour off the hook given the fact yeah. that the Lib Dems had this revoke policy. You know you had people saying it almost allowed Labour to suggest that their second referendum was a democratic way forward because at least they were giving us a chance to vote for something that looks a little bit like um, Brexit but nevertheless it's quite clear that the public have seen through that as well and I think but in particular that repudiation of the Lib Dems, the fact that they've lost a seat, um, the fact that they've lost a leader you know months basically after they've got a new one I think speaks to the fact that that. Hard remain constituencies absolutely tiny, despite the fact how loud some of them shout
0: and she she started this election saying she wanted to be prime minister, and she ended up losing her seat <laughs> It's
2: brilliant, I mean you know uh, I've seen a few people saying, you know don't indulge in too much sch- schadenfreude, don't celebrate people's defeat you know th- they're all quite sad, I'm sure they are but they've treated the electorate with contempt. They really have over the past three and a half years. And um I think the electorate's fight back is incredibly positive. You know, Joe Swinson sums up the hardcore Remain element, which was... And, and they made a terrible mistake. And even sections of the Remainer elite were made uncomfortable by the Lib Dems, um, by them being too open mm. about their contempt for democracy. They let the cat out of the bag. They made it clear that what was going on here was the the first time in, in the history of democracy in this country a democratic vote was going to be simply overturned. And they made it too clear, whereas, Tom says, Labour was at least better at disguising it, which had the unfortunate consequence that they got let off the hook sometimes but the Lib Dem suffered and then so did, uh, well Joe Swinson suffered and then so did Labour more broadly. So I think it's really important, Tom's point about the myth of the 48% is such an important point and we've made this point on Spiked a few times. People will often say to us how can you refer to 48% of the people as the elite? We've never referred to 48% of voters as the elite. Vast majority of remainers are perfectly normal people, good people, and uh, most of them, or at least a significant number of them, mm. support the enactment of Brexit because mm. they believe in democracy. The, the remainer elite is not 48%. It's, it's, it's the new 1%. It's a small, uh, layer of the uh, of society it 's the political class who were trying to overthrow the largest democratic vote in history and and what what will happen next is open for question. Will Boris go down the right route? Will he keep pursuing brino? All those things are open for question, but what this election has established is that people are not willing to see democracy trashed in that way, and that 's why it 's something worth celebrating
0: and let 's talk a bit about the Tories because you know we 've talked about this historic realignment but this is now fundamentally a different Conservative Party to the one even that was elected in mm. 2010 or 2015.
1: Well, it's going to have to be, I think. And the thing about the Tory party is that its its success historically was the fact that it's very adaptable, it's very malleable, it can adjust to the circumstances in which it finds itself. And I think it's quite clear that that's what Boris and the people around him are banking on. I thought it was interesting that in his um, speech earlier today, um, he was making a point of, saying how almost kind of humbled he was by this, that the fact that these people had lent him their vote, despite the fact their hand might have been quivering over the ballot paper and all the rest of it, because he mm. recognises that this is a fundamental shift. This party has suddenly has a base of support, and even MPs who are far more blue-collar, far more Northern, yeah, and that's going to have to have some impact, mm. because if it doesn't, then this is going to be a coalition which could prove in potentially quite unsustainable. I mean, yeah. they were gifted a unique opponent in Jeremy Corbyn and Jeremy Corbyn at a point in his career in which he had repudiated his Euroscepticism. He had, again, really become the kind of figurehead for this extreme kind of remain reaction, uh, removement. And that isn't necessarily going to be around next time around. Um, And I think that's something which they are going to have to respond to both in terms of taking Brexit seriously, but also taking seriously the people who have put them there, um, who are very, very different to the electorate they would have had, you know, even five years ago.
0: And one thing that seemed to not really play out so much, I mean, maybe in a few seats, but there was a lot of worry that the Brexit party would split the Leave vote. But It often seemed that the Brexit party was taking seats from Labour. Some Tories possibly were brought down by it. But what did you make of the Brexit party in this election?
2: I think they did okay. Their result, you know, 2% of the vote is not great. And I'm sure they would have liked to get some seats too. But I do think it turned out, I mean, I was one of those people who was slightly worried about the, the vote splitting potential or the possibility that... Uh, the, the, the extent of Labour's crisis, which we all felt mm. that, that that might be disguised by some of the uh, gains or, or, or vote wins by the Brexit party. But it doesn't seem to have been the case. They, if anything, they may have helped, as you say, with the hollowing out of the Labour vote in certain areas. I think the Brexit party put up a pretty good fight. There were some really good candidates. The problem, however, I think for the Brexit party, which may be the thing that that means they do have to now become the Reform Party. I think the problem is that they they compromised with the Tories very early on. Yeah. And They pulled out of 317 seats, and that just sent a signal, firstly, that they trusted the Tories to deliver Brexit in some fashion. And secondly, it undercut their own message in working-class Labour seats in particular, where they were saying, you can't trust the Tories with Brexit, so you have to vote for us, to which many people will no doubt have wondered, well, why have you entrusted millions of votes to the Tory party on a silver platter? Mm. So I think they undercut their own message. That was probably a mistake. But I think they put up a pretty good fight. But I I just get the feeling now that they're a little bit surplus to requirements because the revolt has taken place. The, The people, particularly working class voters, have made their intentions clear, and they've done it via abandoning the uh, Labour Party and voting for the Tory party. And the question now becomes, as Tom says, will the Tory party be able to change in response to this massive intake of working class voters? If they've got any sense, they will be setting up internal think tanks and engaging the voices of loads of ordinary people and those who represent those people in order to get a sense of what they really think and what they really want and change their party in response Mm. to that. Because then I think the Tory party could potentially become a pretty interesting organisation.
1: I think it's important to note as well, and this is not to just give too much credence to the really crap responses from a lot of Corbynistas which is the idea that right-wing commentators are taking this this is just a repudiation of the left in general that it's about kind of just stopping this ugly Marxist movement etc because Corbynistas have a point when they say that these policies are actually very popular it's just that broadly speaking the big the whole package people were a little bit uncertain about and they really didn't trust Jeremy Corbyn to implement any of this stuff not least I reckon because he'd already said he would implement Brexit and didn't and all the rest of it what's quite there's this kind of thing going around that on the one side, people are very critical of this, saying it's only right wing populism that can ever win. And on the other side, it's it's people, you know, kind of just suggesting that, you know, you need to move more to the centre in order to win. And I think both of those things are wrong. If anything, it's fascinating that the Tories almost had to move leftwards in order to make this work. Yeah. And they had to embrace Brexit, which is neither a left wing nor a right wing thing. If anything, mm. it opens up possibilities just for democracy, full stop. So I think that's an important thing when people think about how to respond to this, that this isn't necessarily just about a rejection of left wing principles necessarily. I think a lot of it has to do the fact the Labour Party, as well as abandoning their core base, also abandoned a lot of the left wing principles that they used to glean to. And I think they're reaping what they sow in that respect as well.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's Spike podcast. We are going to be back next week with a more detailed breakdown of the results, still looking at this historic general election. So until then.